I've got a title for my message this morning. It's called Preparing for Rain. Preparing for God's holy rain. And, and just, just stood here, and I was saying, we were just praying. I remember when God poured out his spirit in City Hall. And we saw people get out of wheelchairs. We saw the, the blind see. And even on the steps outside City Hall, where we saw everyday people, young people, praying. I remember there was one lady and she was on a walker and uh, one of the youth prayed for her. I mean, the youth was about a 13, 14 year old uh, girl at the time. And then she is this this lady who's on this walk, this old lady who's on this walker and running around the crowd as the young people are trying to catch up with her because she's running so fast around the crowd. it was incredible. And then, then she, she came on top of the steps and gave testimony. And in the middle of her giving testimony, there, there was like a, a five-year-old boy. And, and, and he, I'm not quite sure what was wrong with him, but he had a walker too. And he suddenly took all his stuff up and he was walking up, up and down the steps right on, on outside City Hall as this lady is, is, is giving a testimony. So I had to interrupt her because I wanted everyone to see what was going on. God poured out his spirit through his mercy just because he's, that's who he is. He is the God of power. He is the God of miracles. He is the God of healings. Sometimes we think we're there. We're trying to twist his arm. And yet actually, that's who he is. That's, that's his nature. That's his, his, his very being. He just wants to be allowed to move. It is incredible what, what he, he was done. But this lady, now I'll just, just carry on with this story. This lady who, who, who walked around and you know, run around this crowd, uh, she gave a testimony to the crowd and then she just walked off. She hadn't said us in this prayer or anything. She just walked off with it. Um, and then, like, so we start praying for her because, like, well, she's got healed, but we wanted to get saved. I mean, that's, that's the thing, that we wanted to get saved. So, so, so we're praying for her and she comes and walks back. Like, wow, prayer does work, doesn't it? I mean, we've just seen her heal, but anyway, we're thinking prayer does work. She's come, she's come away back and, and she reaches into the stroller, gets the keys, goes, I just wanted these, and then walks straight off with not letting us able to talk to her. She experienced the power of God. She experienced, we could say, the river of God, the power and the presence of God. Her life was changed, and yet she didn't accept Jesus. And I used to think, naively, when I was a teenager, that all we needed was for God to pour out his spirit, for God to pour out his power, and then everyone would believe. And yet I've seen God do it, and people still not believe. Something which breaks my heart as well, and, and you'll see why where I'm going with this this morning. Something which breaks my heart as well is, is I took an amazing team out in that city center. I traveled with some of those, even internationally. And yet not everyone who saw the healing, saw the miracle, saw the power of God flow through them into other people who experienced God's presence, who were in the church, Unfortunately, it breaks my heart, but not all of them are walking with God today. They've turned away. In the Welsh Revival, uh, there's, there's a brilliant uh, book uh, called Rhys Howe's Intercessor. If you've never read it, I really uh, recommend reading it. Um, and they, they faced this thing in the Welsh Revival. They, they were saying that the, the, the massive problem came is when they had hundreds of people responding to the gospel, but they didn't have enough teachers. And this, was, this is what their, their comment was, Norman Grubb's comment. It's, it's when the feelings faded, when the encounter was over, 
Too many relied on the emotion, the encounter, but didn't build their life on the word of God and then walked away and became cold. It's hard for me to say it because I love the power and the presence of God. But hear me right, it's not enough. Turn to me to Jeremiah 2.13 and I'll explain why it's not enough. It's there in the Bible. I'm not trying to preach heresy. Jeremiah 2 verse 13 says this. God is speaking to the, the northern tribes and he's, he's, he's had enough of them because of their wickedness. And he's, he's warning them, I'm going to chuck you out of the promised land unless, unless you stop your sinning. And he, and he says in 2.13, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water. And they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Let me unspiritualize the language a bit. They have rejected the river. They've rejected the power and the presence. I know people who have seen healing, seen, seen God move, and then, then they've rejected him because of it. And they're now not walking with God. But they also rejected the structures to contain the living water. They built their own laws, their own rules. They did their own things. And because they didn't obey the commandments of God, they didn't build the structures that God had put for them to live, for holy living. When the river pours, it doesn't contain the water. In fact, those structures don't contain living water. We need to experience the power and the presence of God. But we also need to build into our lives structures that contain his glory. Put it this way. It's not good enough just to experience the glory of God. We need to be glory carriers. We need to carry the glory of God within us. Unfortunately, and, and this, is, this is the problem of, of, of going to good churches, and this has probably been shown up in the pandemic, is you can go to church every week. A church where the glory of God is being poured out. And there on a Sunday morning, you're getting in the river. You're experiencing the river. And you, you, you seem to think that I'm a glory cow. I must be in the right place because I can feel the glory of God. I, I feel it every Sunday. And yet all you're doing is experiencing the river. You're getting in the river. But you're not actually building structures into your life. You're not learning to live on the word of God so that you can contain the river. You are washing in other people's rivers. Now, there is something when we gather, it's like a river flows out of me and a river flows out of Matt and a river flows out of David. And there's this, this, this synergy which comes together when, we, when we're together and there's the immense power of glory. Where two or three are gathered, he's there in the midst. But we also have, as an individual level, a responsibility to build our own systems, our own containers, so that when it rains, we catch it and we store it. In other words, we store the glory of God so that we can... Give it to others. So, I hope, I hope that's all right. But Jeremiah 2.13 talks about we need to experience the river, but we also need to build to contain rainwater. What happened to the northern tribes that we read about in Jeremiah 2? Well, unfortunately, they didn't listen to Jeremiah. The, the, the southern tribes didn't listen to Isaiah either. And the whole of the people of God were exiled out of the promised land. God kicked them out. And it was, it was a horrible thing because they had invading armies. There were swords, there was blood. It was, it was ghastly. Anyway, they are exiled out, out of the promised land. Um, I think, is, is it 70 years? I'm off my notes. 70 years later, they, they come back. They restored to the promised land. But there's a problem. When they left the, the promised land, they had the Ark of the Covenant where the presence of God was. We talked about the presence of God this morning. When they came back, 
there was no ark. There was no presence. The other thing with the problem they had is when they came back, none of them could remember what the law of God was. No one, no one can remember what God's commandments were anymore. And there was this, this weeping as, as the law is read, as they're reminded of what God said to do for his people. So what did the Israelites do? Well, they, they decided, we do not want to be exiled again. Never again. This is, that was bad. We were going to make sure that we build our assistance. We build our lives on the word of God. Never again are we going to go against it. And so how did they do that? Well, they had 613 rules which God had given to them through Moses. Now, because they didn't want to break any of those rules, for instance, I don't want to break the Sabbath, they, they wrote another 300,000 rules so that they didn't break the 613. It's, you'll see it today. I mean, I, I don't know if you've ever been to um, a Jewish household and, and you'll see ones who, who are practicing they have like things in their fridges so that you don't turn the light switch on on the Sabbath because they don't want to break the Sabbath. So when they open the door, if you turn the light on, that's, that's work. So they can't do that. So they have, they have fridges which, which don't have the light coming on on the Sabbath. Uh, my, my parents used to, used to um, uh, live next to um, some, some practicing Jews. And on, on Sabbath, they'll be knocking on the door asking my parents to go in and do a whole load of suffering because they didn't want to break the Sabbath. Rule after rule. But what's the intention? I don't want to break God's law, so I'm going to create a whole load of structures so that I don't. This building of 300,000 laws created what we know as the Pharisees. It created law upon law upon law. I think we, we know the Pharisees as the bad guys, as the bogeymen in, 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 in the life of Jesus. But understand their intention. I don't want to, I don't want to break the Sabbath so we're going to find lots of ways to not break the Sabbath. Turn with me to John 7. So we have the Pharisees. We have, uh, when Jesus is on, on the earth, we have a situation where there is thousands of rules. They are trying to keep the first covenant as, as much as they can. Part of the first covenant is that they have to go to Israel three times in a year for, for certain feasts. John 7 verse 37 says this, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, I'm going to stop there. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, what festival? I don't know if you've ever read that and gone, what festival? It's there because it's, it's important. What was the festival? As I said, three times a year that the Jewish people had to, had to pilgrim to Jerusalem for festivals. The festival that they're talking about is the festival of tabernacles, which took place over many days. The, the, the feast of, of tabernacles takes place in autumn. It is a very important time for harvest. So as part of, um, part of this festival, that daily they would pray for rain. In, in, in the Feast of Tabernacles. For us who, who just get our food from, from supermarkets, you know, you know well, how, how does food come? Well, you, put, you go to the supermarket and you put it in your, in your basket and it's there. For people who understand, though, who are farmers, who have to live off the land and don't live in a country where we're normally praying for sun rather than rain, rain is really important for your crops. In fact, if it didn't rain in the autumn, their harvest would fail. 
So all the way through this, this um, Feast of Tabernacles, they would pray for rain. And they wouldn't just pray for it. They had this visual representation. It's not in the, it's not in the Bible. It's not what God commanded, but it had become tradition by the time of Jesus. And the high priest would take two gold bowls and they would walk down the steps from, um, from, from the temple. They would go to, I think it's the pools of Shiloh, where it's running. What does running water mean? It's a spring of living water. It's living, spring, moving, means living means spring, means running. They would fill these two bowls, these golden bowls of, with living water, walk back up to the top of the temple, and then pour both bowls over the altar as a prayer, as a visual prayer to pray for rain. Every day they would do that. And at the end of it, they would have a big feast and, and a worship service to thank God that he's going to send the rain. That is the context in which Jesus stands up in a loud voice in the temple courts and says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from them, from within them. By this, he meant the spirit whom those believed in him were related to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Jesus stands up in the Feast of Tabernacles where they're praying for rain, praying for the living water, seeing the living water poured out on the altar and says, I am the source of that living water or I am the living water. It is a messianic picture. The people there knew what was going on. So the crowd started talking. So is this the Messiah? Is this the Christ or not? If you carry on reading through John straight after, they're, 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 they're talking about it. Is this the Christ? Some believed he was. Because he is the living water. They got back to the Pharisees, the rulers. They weren't very happy. They, were, they started saying, you, you'll see it in the text if you want to read later. Why didn't you bring him to me? We need to get this guy. He's, he's, he's a heretic. He's, he, we need to stop him. And so because of, of that, they said, we need to do it right. We need to set him a trap so that we can catch Jesus in something that we can, we can get him for. On the very next day, Jesus walks back into the temple courts and he's there teaching in the temple courts with people around him. And the Pharisees drag in a woman and put her in the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. And this is the trap they set for him. This lady has been caught of adultery. Under our law, under our rules, under our structures for holy living, this lady needs to be stoned. What are you going to do, Jesus? It's a trap. Why? Because under the law, exactly that had to happen. But they were living in Roman times under Roman occupation and only a judge could kill someone. Jesus can't do it either way. He's got a problem. If, if he says, don't stone her, he's got a problem. If he stones her, he's got a problem. What does Jesus do? He starts getting down and starts just writing in the dust. He then says this as they're talking to him. Let the one who, has, let the one who is without sin be the first one to throw a stone. And then carries down, writing in the dust. Now, everyone's, you know, when we read this one, everyone thinks, well, what was he writing? What was he doing? The Bible doesn't tell us. And we can have whole sermons about what he wrote in the dust and no one actually knows. I think the statement on its own 
diffuse the situation. Let the one who has no sin throw the first stone. If they claimed they had no sin, they were a heretic. So none of them did. But I don't know what he wrote in the sand, in the, in the ground, but it does remind me of something in Jeremiah. We read Jeremiah to start with. Jeremiah 17, verse 13, which says this. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. Jesus, who's just, just taken on messianic, messianic promise that he is the spring of living water, starts writing in the dust. What had the Pharisees done? The Pharisees have rejected Jesus. They had rejected the source of living water. And whether this is what Jesus was doing, Jeremiah tells us that their names are now being written in the dust. We cannot reject the power of God. If we reject the power of God, we reject God himself. If we reject the spirit, we reject the father. But I have, and, and, and maybe I'm, I'm just on my own here, I do have a bit of sympathy for the Pharisees because they were trying their hardest to obey the law. They know on you that the Old Testament more than I do. They memorized it. They had committed their lives to obeying the law. They committed their lives to serving God. They committed their lives to prayer. And yet Jesus, the word of God, turns up in front of them and they reject him because of their understanding of the word of God. They're going, well, I've read it here, so you must not be that person. And they see Jesus ministering to sinners, to the drunks, to the drug addicts, to the prostitutes, to the thieves, and see this power of God being demonstrated, the healings, the miracles amongst the scum of the earth. And they're thinking, wait a minute, we're the holy ones. We're the ones who follow the rules of God. Surely it should be here. I think there was some envy, there was some jealousy, and there was some, just some blindness. And I read this and I think, I don't want to be the same. I don't want to be blinded by my own rules, by my own systems that I built. I don't want to be blinded because of my faith. Let me tell you a little story about how we can help that. Um, we were doing a healing tour with, uh, around, around the region, and I was, in, I was in Cottingham. And this was the first really big healing I saw, so I thought it was, I, I remember this because it was awesome. And... We had an appeal for people to come up to the front and there was, there was this woman and she came with, with another woman. They came up front and I, and I was like, I'm going to have this one because I want to see God heal. I want to see a miracle. So I'm going to pray for him. So I went, went to them first. And this, this lady is interpreting for, for the woman because she can't speak. She's had a car accident. And through the car accident, she got, she got damaged by glass in her brain and she can't speak. So I put my hands round, round her head and I, and I had to pray. And it was, this was like less than a minute. I just prayed that God would heal her. And, and then I'd take my hands off and, and this lady who couldn't speak started speaking to me. It's like, brilliant. Now, now I've got to be honest. My, my thinking was, well, let's just stop here because I prayed for one person. One person's got healed. I just want to go home with 100% record. That's just what was going through my brain. I'm sorry if that's really bad, but that's what was going through my brain. Um, but this lady wouldn't let me go away. She goes, I need prayer for something else. There's this dark thing that has lived inside of me ever since the accident. And I'm like, 
are you a Christian? And I thought, I need, I need to get this woman saved. And no, she was saved. I said, okay. Well, darkness can't live where there's light. So darkness can't remain there. So I tried to teach her that there was no darkness living inside of her. Well, she wasn't having any of it. No, there's darkness here. It came in the, in the accident, so it needs getting out. Pray for me. So I went, okay, well, I'll pray for her and then maybe she'll go away because I want to get rid of this woman now. This was brilliant and now it's, now it's turning into a nightmare. So, so I put my hands, hands again round her head and I just started praying in tongues because I don't know what to pray for because I don't believe there's any darkness in her. So I, so I put my hands around her head and I just started praying in tongues. Well, it was scary. Her face just erupt and contorted and her bones were cracking and popping. It was like the exorcist. I don't know, I haven't watched the exorcist, but I'm guessing it would be a bit like the exorcist. Like a, her face was demon possessed. It was unnatural what was going on and so I immediately took my hands away went are you okay and, and she said yes it's working carry on so I put my hands back around her head and, I, and I'm just praying in tongues not really know what's going on just trying to love her not having a clue and, and then suddenly this black thing just peels off her face flies off over there and her, her, her face is suddenly really relaxed and she goes opens her eyes and says, it's gone I saw it leave she said it's gone and I'm like brilliant Okay, she, she goes off really happy. I'm left with three problems. Number one, my doctrine of theology said darkness couldn't live in her. And yet I've just seen something which challenges my theology. Second problem, I was taught in Bible school that tongues, it was, it was worship to God. You can use them, but they have, no, um, they have no effect in spiritual warfare. All I used was tongues. And the third thing was this. It was a car accident. How does the, how's the devil get in in a car accident? It wasn't a witch doctor. It wasn't anything like that. A piece of glass went into it. How did the devil get in through a physical action? Well, I've since, since learned this, that the devil is a lot more work in our churches than we'd like to admit. A lot more work in our, in our Christians than we'd like to admit. I wouldn't say someone's possessed, but darkness can live. You could call it a stronghold. You can give it whatever theological thing you want to know. But I know that the devil does work in Christians. The second is this. Tongues are incredibly powerful in spiritual warfare. Incredibly powerful. And the third is this. The devil often gets in in trauma. I was able to learn those things because I was willing to be flexible. I was willing to realize that my theology, my doctrine may not be 100% correct. Humble enough to go, God, you're bigger than me. I may have got this wrong. Teach me. I believe this, that your experiences with the power of God should challenge what you believe. I'm not saying they define it. I said they should challenge. I'm not saying that what's written here is wrong. God is the same yesterday, today and forever. But what I'm saying is this, our understanding of what we read is probably not 100% correct. Would you, would you go with that? Because yeah. we are human. I've got to be humble enough to have my doctrine changed, to be taught, to grow up. What was the problem with the Pharisees? What did Jesus keep saying the Pharisees? Because they experienced Jesus. They experienced the power, the word of God in the flesh, and they rejected him. What were they unwilling to be is flexible. Jesus even called them, you stiff-necked, I can't remember, it's probably a swear word, stiff-necked something, people. In other words, you are rigid, 
you're not even able to change your head slightly from side to side. When Jesus talks about a wineskin, we've got the wine, the power, the river. You've got the skin, the container to contain the glory of God. He says, do not pour wine into an old wineskin. Why? Because an old wineskin cannot stretch. You want to pour it into a new wineskin. Why? Because a new wineskin is flexible. It will stretch. It will allow the wine to do its work, to have the power, and then grow. We need to be, I believe, so we do not commit the same sins, so we do not miss God when he shows him power. We need to be flexible. We need to know what we believe, but we also need to realize God's bigger than our beliefs. The second thing is this. I'll, I'll just read it again. He said, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. We need the river. We need the power, but we do need the structures. Some people think that because we're in the new covenant, that there are no structures. Jesus didn't seem to think so. He said in Matthew 28, verse 19, go into all the world, make disciples, not just glory experiences, people who have discipline, that's what disciple means, disciplined. Baptize them in what? In living water. Did you know that the early, you know, we talk about full immersion, the early church wasn't too bothered as long as they got someone wet. That was good enough for them. If the ideal was bathe them in a stream, baptize them in a stream or a river because it's moving because it's living water you're supposed to be baptized in living water baptize them in living water and teach them to observe all that i have commanded them every single command that jesus gave his disciples he said pass it on to those who will follow you not just those which seem culturally relevant not those which just seem uh easy or what or those that we agree with in the Garden of Eden, we can go right back to where sin came. In the Garden of Eden, Eve is there tempted by the tree of the fruit of good and evil. It's a beautiful tree. It even says in the Bible that it is delicious. It looks good. It looks brilliant. There doesn't seem to be anything wrong with it. And, and the devil is going, if you eat that, you won't just have to, you won't have to be told what's good and evil. You will know what's good and evil what, what was the devil saying you won't have to depend on God for what's good and evil you'll know it yourself you will be a God yourself you can define it yourself I think too many times we 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 try to define our own rules create our own broken systems it's God who creates the systems it's God's commands and they haven't changed but the problem with the fruit is you cannot see anything wrong with it it looks delicious it looks good sin doesn't always look wrong sometimes we'll read a command from God and we're going but I don't get it I don't understand it surely this is good surely this will be for my benefit surely this is the holy thing to have is to eat of this tree to eat of this sin it would have been a lot easier if God had said, there's just one thing I don't want you to do in the garden, and that's kill one another. We would get that one. 
Or I tell you, just one thing you don't do is actually, you know, steal off another. We would understand that one too. They had to eat. It just seems an odd command. But I believe what God was trying to show us from it is, you have to follow what I say, even when you don't agree with it. You have to follow what I say, even when you don't understand it. You have to follow what I say, even when it, you have to not do something, even when it looks good, just because I said so. We don't like that because we want to be Lord of our own lives. We say Jesus is Lord, and normally what it means is everything that he said that I agree with, I'll put into my life. And everything I don't agree with, well, I'll just put that on the pending list of, I need to pray about that one, brother. Every command, whether we agree with it, whether we like it, whether it's uh, acceptable in our current climate or not, but every command that God gives us, and if you get confused, just stick with the New Testament. In the New Testament, Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians 4. He says this, make sure that you obey all the commandments that I give you. He then goes on to say, I'm rushing because of time, and then goes on to say, list things like sexual immorality. Do not be sexually immoral. I haven't got time to go into that today. And then he says this, if you reject the commands that I give you that have come from God, if you reject God's commands, you're not just rejecting those commands for holiness, you are rejecting the Holy Spirit himself. When we reject the commandments, we reject the river. There was, Jesus told a story about the foolish builders. I, I, I got taught it in Sunday school and I got it taught wrong because I said, there's a, there's a wise Buddha who built Buddha. Wise Buddha. <laughs> Apparently there is. There was a wise builder who built his, his, his house on stone and there was a foolish one which built him on sand. And then when the rain came, the one who built their house on sand, it went away. Yet the one who built the house on rock, it stayed. And so my Sunday school class, and it wasn't in this church, fortunately, said this. So what this, what this parable means is read your Bible. That's not the conclusion of the wise and the foolish builder. The wise builder and the foolish builder, it says, read, heard the word of God. They both, put it this way, they both went to church. They both did their Bible readings. They both listened to the worship songs. They both attended worship services but one put it into practice, the other one just heard and did nothing. If you build on the rock, you are putting, you are obeying, not just hearing, you're hearing and obeying. What is sand? Sand is like little, little grains of rock. What is happening when you build your house of sand? You're going, because you're hearing the word, you're going through it and you go, I'll take that truth, that grain of truth, that's brilliant. I'll take that grain of truth. That's brilliant. That grain of truth, uh, not so sure about that one. Put that one over there. This grain of truth, oh, I love that one. I'll have that one. When we build our life on the kind of like a pick and mix of God's commands, we are building our life on sand, on grains of truth, not the truth. When we build our life on the truth, it's solid rock. It's all joined up. We either take it all or we leave it all. That's what it means to build on the rock, to say that Jesus is Lord of my life. 
everything that he says I do. When I don't understand it, I do it. When I don't agree with it, I do, I do it anyway. When I think it's a really stupid idea, I still go and do it because that's what it means for Jesus Christ to be more than my life. And if I want to carry the glory rather than just experience the glory, I need to allow the God that God's laws and mind, laws and rules to build a structure within me so that I contain his glory. I do find it funny that we talk about spirit churches and word churches and spirit people and word people and we talk about the power and we talk about the structures because that's what we're talking about. And yet our very word of God doesn't seem to make those two distinctions. The spirit of God and the word of God are so intrinsically linked you can't separate them. We, we, try, and put, we try and put them in separate silos so we can understand them, but they are so linked. We call it the word of God. Well, who wrote the word of God? We say this is the inspired work of the Holy Spirit. In other words, the spirit of God wrote the word. Jesus said when he spoke, my words are spirit and life. The very words he, spent, he, he spoke contain the spirit. But my favorite is this. Ephesians 6, the sword of the spirit is the word of God. In other words, the instrument of the spirit is God's commands, what he said. This is what happens when we properly experience uh, the spirit of God. The spirit comes into us and Jesus says, drink of my water and then you'll have living waters flow out you. What happens is the spirit goes inside of you and his sword of the spirit, his scalpel, cuts away all the evil, all the darkness, all the sin. And the second thing is he goes in and starts carving foundations out in our very lives so that we can contain the glory and the power and the presence of God. We need the power of God. We need the laws and everything that he said. We need to devote ourselves to what he said, as well as to experiencing him in power today. If we just choose one of them and not the other, we're like a bird with only one wing. We will go nowhere. We will not even get flight. We need to embrace the power, the spirit of God, and we need to embrace the discipline of God. And this is what I'm learning more and more. But when the spirit comes upon me, it's not just so that I can get drunk in his spirit, as much as I love that and much as I celebrate that. It's so that he transforms me into his image from ever degree of glory to glory to glory. What does it mean to experience the Holy Spirit in entirety? He transforms my life. He changes the way I think. He changes the way I feel. He changes my emotions. He changes my mindset. That's what it means to encounter God. If all we do is is have fun, all we're doing is experiencing him. All we're doing is playing about in the river. We need to drink the spirit and the word of God in deeply so that we are eternally changed. Amen. Let me just leave you with one story. Um, when I was at university, you may even know who this is, Matt. When I was at university, um, there was, uh, it was my third year actually, uh, there, there was this, this, uh, Whoa, there's music going on. There was this, 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 this uh, other, other student, and she, she was actually a, a first year, I was a third year. And she um, was connected to churches different to the churches I was connected as a student. One of the churches she was connected to um, pretty much would say I was demon-possessed. If you speak in tongues, you've got a demon in you. 
That was the doctrine she was getting. That's what she was being taught on a Sunday morning. However, I could see the glory of God in her. I could see the life of God in her. She didn't believe that prophecy is for day. She didn't believe that you could hear God like this. Yet, she probably gave me more prophetic words than anyone else. What she would say is this, I was, I was spending time in prayer and I thought of you, I, this thought came of you and I thought this scripture and so I wrote this out and, and she would give me pieces of paper with scriptures and, and prophecies written down. She just said they were thoughts because of God. I would say they were prophecy. What I never said to her is, you're prophesying. Why am I going to fall out over the discrepancy of what's happening? I could see that Jesus was in her. I could see the spirit of God was flowing through her. I define something one way. She defines it another. I'm not going to be um, proud, too proud to think that I've got it all sorted and she hadn't. And because I was humble enough to allow someone who, who said that spirit, the spiritual gifts were not for today, I was humble enough for her to speak into my life and to give her so much encouragement, so much so I've still got some of those pieces of paper in my, in my house today. We need to experience the presence of God. We need to experience the word of God and we need to not reject people because they don't necessarily believe exactly what we think.